0: So check this out. I got word that Hulu threw this crazy party in Beverly Hills with literally all of the biggest reality TV stars. I'm talking about all the Bravo labs. Candy Burris, Portia Williams, James Kennedy, Jax Taylor, even Captain Lee and Kate Chastain. Here's the genius part. If you want to find out what happened at the party, You have to watch the commercials. Yes, I know I'll be tuning in and then signing up for a free trial to get my favorite reality TV shows at Hulu.com.
1: Better Call Saul, Season 5, Episode 4, Namaste, is over, but we're just getting started here at Post Show Recaps. Hello, everyone. I am Antonio Mazzaro, and I am so thrilled to be talking. I guess I have an inner peace about this episode. I'm here to be talking about Better Call Saul with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? Oh, my God.
0: What an incredibly weird episode uh, of Better Call Saul. Namaste, uh, Jimmy and Mike. And Hank and Gomi and Gus traveled back to the 1970s, and oh, no. here they are in Dharmaville, trying to fit in. Josh. Jimmy's gonna just like Jimmy's going Josh. by Lafleur now. What? Josh,
1: what? this is this is not the Down the Hatch podcast. Uh, <laughs> I think you're uh, I think you're lost. Got confused. I think you're lost.
0: So sorry. So sorry. <laughs> So sorry. You're, oh, right, 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 You're
1: making reference to the fact that there is a, there's a lost episode called Namaste. We have a Better Call Saul episode now called Namaste. What is it about the concept uh, of this word and what it entails, Josh, that you think is gold to TV writers?
0: I think, I think the Zen state is always fascinating to explore creatively because um, it's bullshit to some degree, right? You know, like, it does, it, is, the, is the Zen state real uh in the same way is is altruism real you know <laughs> like <it's>, are these <laughs> are these things that are like purely real like i think that you can get close to the zen state i think you can get close to altruism but there's always going to be at least some underlying motive, whether or not it's, you know, uh it, it doesn't have to be a nefarious underlying motive. It can be like doing good feels good to me, but that's not going to be something that you shake. Uh, You know, I think that you can reach a Zen state to the point that, like, you're mostly, uh, you know, calm and, and fearless as you're moving through the world. But you're always going to have, like... Well, my st- my stomach's grumbling. I'm ready for my lunch. Like something's going to sneak in. At least that's my experience. I guess I have not achieved true zen. Um but I think that it's fascinating to explore from a from a, a creative standpoint and from a television standpoint because like you have somebody like Jimmy right now who has achieved a certain level of zen in his mind. He has now activated uh as Saul Goodman. He's uh you know, he's really uh, fully in on that right now. Um, and he's unshakable in that attempt until he has lunch with Howard Hamlin. And until like the, the ghost of his brother is brought back into the universe and the, the, the irritation from the past is brought back into his world and he has to act on it. Um, so I, I, think that there's a piece of that that's at play. Um, and I, I, think that it's, it's just an alluring idea of is, is some level of like full peace and satisfaction actually possible Do you need to get to that place, or is it an illusion that is a trap? Um, So I think that that's something that uh, TV writers have have clearly been keen on exploring.
1: Well, and it certainly fits and works with a show like this, right? Which is definitely about the soul and about these moments that the characters experience, where they're reaching into the depths of their of their psyche or of their being, their very being, and looking for the divine. Which, of course is what a lot of that spiritual practice uh where you might encounter the word namaste in that in that realm uh, is all about uh and certainly the soul searching that's going on throughout the course of this season of better call Saul is front and center especially with Kim and Jimmy uh because of everything that Kim is experiencing with Mesa Verde and figuring out mm-hmm. her role in the universe and trying to find the divine or trying to find the the spark in, inside herself uh, that is leading her down a certain path, and we'll certainly talk about where that path leads in this episode. Uh, Jimmy's character, that's been his story throughout the context of this whole series. Um, that is, I think, maybe one of the mission statements of making Better Call Saul, uh, is this guy finding uh, the opposite of that within himself. Uh, finding what is truly down there uh, is not good, or that being in conflict with itself uh, is certainly the Jimmy McGill story. And we find Howard Hamlin at a different part of his spiritual journey, uh, having passed some time and him having clearly confronted a lot of the issues that Jimmy has not uh, or at least responded to them in a different way um, and so the, the namaste or that the greeting if, if you will the context that you'll sometimes encounter in uh, the soul to soul of it the the seeing, the seeing of the divine in someone else um, it is interesting what these characters are seeing in each other uh, and I think coming to grips with that is certainly a key part of this episode uh, and there you know maybe there's a lot of stuff that, that we could talk about that seems like filler and I would certainly certainly Certainly, not defend uh, a lot of that in this episode. It doesn't mean it is not enjoyable to watch, especially the first time through uh, for the craft of it all. But for me, the episode really centers around the relationship between Kim and Jimmy and what she's accepting of now uh, because of where she's at. And certainly the relationship between Howard and Jimmy uh, or Howard and Saul. Unfortunately, Uh, Howard has really started to meet Saul Goodman and what that means for those two characters. Uh, That, to me, is the crux of the episode, along with maybe the scene um, with Saul Goodman with the 50% off guys in the jail. It really says the most about where our characters are at right now. And I think that's what this episode was mainly about. But Josh, we also got more more Hank and Gomi. Uh, We got the cleaning of a fryer. Uh, We got some very unfortunate stuff with Mike. Um, So even though it doesn't seem like a lot happened, we certainly have a lot to break down in this episode. Where would you like to start?
0: Uh, so obviously we just need to do like a like a forty minute deep dive into Jimmy as a bull in a china shop at the start of the oh. episode. <laughs> so that's no? one of the that's no? one of
1: the filler moments for me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't so, think we
0: need to talk about. it. I mean, other than like it, this is just another example of uh, Better Call Small. Uh, better Call Small. Oh dear. Uh, <laughs> better Better Call. small well, <laughs> the reason I said that was oh, I was I was going to Doctor Freud. Well, I was gonna I was gonna hold this back, but I guess now I just have to unveil it. I was going to say like Better Call Small likes to smell its own farts sometimes you know like it, it's got this thing <laughs> where it's very craft oriented and very procedural and uh sometimes it it's like really mesmerizing like the the melting ice cream and the ants attacking last week which i thought was a was was a really uh such an icky piece of filmmaking that i really enjoyed watching but then you get uh, a cold open like this one in, in namaste where uh clearly what we're seeing here is this is jimmy like Finding uh, the best object to trash Howard Hamlin's car with. Uh, did we need this? Did we actually need this? I think this is the reason why we're uh, you know we're in season five of Better Call Saul, and Jimmy is just now becoming Saul Goodman. Um, and I know for some people, like this is the stuff that's like the bread and butter of the show. Uh, and I think uh, on the filmmaking side, uh, something that the filmmakers really really enjoy exploring is just like what they can do in the craft of of making the show, but. Sometimes for me, this is like okay. So I probably can uh, just like iPhone my way through the through the through the through the montage. about this one?
1: if it wasn't abundantly clear, if you only watch the episode the one time and you're listening to podcasts or reading recaps to try to get uh, some clarity on things that happened, uh, welcome. That's certainly something I do. Uh, this this episode is not in continuity. It does not begin the episode. It would have taken place somewhere near the end of the episode after right. Jimmy meets with Mr. Acker, who for me was the MVP of the episode. We'll talk about that later as well. Uh, but Jimmy meets with Mr. Acker in, Acker in Toomey He makes the proposal that he represent him against Jimmy's Mesa Verde. disgusting.
0: By the way, I'm yeah. so sorry to interrupt. But yeah. Like the way that he woos Mr. Acker, it's hilarious. Some I'm of the sorry. things that Jimmy has done across the <laughs> way, like he's just so
1: foul. It's incredibly effective, uh, mind you. And Mr. Acker describing what's that in that picture is my favorite of moment on, of the season
0: on Rotten. Com in the, in the yeah. early 2000s. He, that's true. Steak and cheese. Don't that's, go to those sites. Do not uh, seek them out, listeners. I don't know that
1: latter one, and I'm not Yet, going there. Well, i don't
0: know if it's still operational I don't, don't check me. it out don't it check like, it out
1: that's a food that i enjoy so i don't want the <laughs> don't to any negative deeper. association do not dig yeah. deeper but the, this the scene would have occurred after jimmy meets with mr after jimmy goes on steak and cheese uh and then gets a picture <laughs> and then meets with mr acker and mr acker hilariously describes it and then jimmy's feeling himself and if you he, he talks to kim then he takes a little breath outside his car right there outside mr acker's house uh and he looks at his watch and then he goes to the cold open scene uh, and he picks a bowling ball out because it is that moment where he has decided that he is going to uh, vandalize something that is near and dear to Howard Hamlin, the Jaguar with a namaste license plate. Uh, so that's where this cold open scene would have occurred just after that. And before yeah. the moments of the bowling ball, uh, really nothing to cover in the cold open other than, yeah, it's, it's all process. It's fun. It, it is, it is what it is. It's funny because there's another scene in this episode that, uh, that I'm, that I'm reminded of what the original idea for Better Call Saul was when they first conceived of a, a spin off of Breaking Bad featuring Saul Goodman. They weren't sure if it was going to be a half hour sitcom, if it was going to be an hour show. They, they did not have a full grasp on this idea. And of course, one of the things people thought was it's going to be a lot of hijinks with with Saul Goodman. It's going to be like a half hour sitcom featuring him and his goofy clients. Just Bob Odenkirk is a comedian like this is what we're going to do. Uh, and so I think that stuff like this just High jinks with Saul Goodman. It definitely feels like it's part of that. The later scene in the courtroom uh, where Jimmy pulls the old switcheroo with the client. And-
0: is that uh, to borrow uh, a phrase from a uh, uh, Star Wars: The Phantom Menace character? Is that legal? <laughs> I love uh, democracy. Was was that was that like uh, these hijinks, the shenanigans that he pulls, where he has somebody, uh, his defendant is not his defendant, and his defendant is deeper into the back of the room.
1: Is that something you can do? Well, look, Jimmy McGill.
0: If you're a shithead, maybe right. Like, yeah, Jimmy like, McGill
1: has is is one of the ones who will take every single rule that's in criminal procedure, and I don't know what their local rules in New Mexico are. And honestly, the way that a lot of court rules work, um, you have your federal rules, uh, and of course, they, they may or may not apply. They're most likely just a guideline for the state to create their own rules. And then the state has their rules, but even local judges will have their local rules uh, about things like this. And so it probably was bending the rules, if not breaking them. I don't think uh, every jurisdiction has a requirement that the accused sit at the table with the lawyer. Uh, it just depends on the nature of the case and certainly where the case is. Uh, I'm not sure what the local rule there was in New Mexico. Jimmy was certainly bending, if not breaking it, uh, but he got the outcome that he wanted. Uh, And so mission accomplished for that. And he wasn't sanctioned. That's the other thing, is the judge didn't seem to punish him for it. So uh, it doesn't seem like what he did was technically illegal, but it was certainly highly uh, outside the, the the bounds of what was appropriate. Uh, and and we saw what happened as a result. Uh, so yeah, he's definitely bending rules, if not breaking them. And I think that's what you'll see throughout with Saul Goodman is he is cognizant of what the rules are. He's not really super concerned with ethics, uh, he was that way before he was Saul Goodman. As you remember, he would right. go Mrs. Slip and Jimmy, right? Like he would go and he would solicit clients directly in person by paying a bus driver off uh, to break their bus down uh, outside of uh, in Texas, you know, just so that he could go and solicit these clients person to person. And he would find a way to say, oh, I had reason to be there in person. I was meeting with the client who had already filled out the card. But of course, everything he did surrounding that was highly irregular, if not unethical. But this is not who Jimmy McGill is. So yeah, he he's bending rules to the point most lawyers would never. Uh, and certainly it's causing a problem such that the trial has to be called off. But is he breaking them? Now, he's not seemingly running afoul of it enough to be sanctioned again. So I think that's the dance we're going to yeah. see with Jimmy McGill throughout this. Um,
0: I want that- to talk about... I, 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 I really want to talk about how... Uh, He's reconciling being Jimmy McGill still and becoming Saul Goodman and how that's finally challenged by the arrival of round Howard Hamlin. (laughs) <laughs> um, because I, I, I think that the, I think that this is really this is really key to to the entire episode. Like, I think that this is the beating heart of the episode. Uh, and, and this is our first real chance to talk about Howard Hamlin in any kind of detail this season. Yeah, here we are, almost halfway through the season, and once again, uh, we're finally getting Howard Hamlin in in the in the in the picture. Uh, really, he's just like. The series regulars on this show often, I feel like uh, it's it's not always the greatest deal for them. Well, I uh, mean,
1: financially at work it's working, but yeah, in terms of getting their screen time, it's sure, difficult. sure, sure, yeah. sure.
0: Uh, so it's it's curious to me um, why Howard comes to Jimmy. He has this he has this pitch to him of I've been thinking about this for a while. I I always loved you, Charlie Hustle. I want to put you back. We need a McGill back. We want it to be you, Charlie Hustle. Um, You know, Hussle. Hustle. Uh, Like, this was the thing that he always wanted to do. He should have stood his ground earlier. How much did you read this as, like, him just, like, kind of feeding Jimmy a line versus this is his authentic truth? Because I think that I'm inclined to maybe give Howard a little bit more of a pass than the average bear. Uh, like, I think that Howard has proven time and time again, like, yeah, he, like, he could be an a-hole and he could be a shark in a suit. But I think one of the great complexities about Howard Hamlin is, I think, like he is somebody who was like, racked with guilt over the death of Charles McGill.
1: He's, more of, he is, twink, he's more of a twink than a bear. Just, just <laughs> <that> out
0: there. <laughs> I, I think that he's he is somebody who is like, he was racked with guilt over Chuck. He was racked with guilt over how Chuck treated Jimmy. He never liked yes. that. Uh, He really did always authentically like Jimmy. Um, I think that Howard Hamlin is maybe a pretty good guy. Is yeah. that a
1: crazy take? No, I don't think so. And honestly, I like, think is he like
0: is he an out of touch guy? Like he's super wealthy, like he's born into it. Yeah. You know he you know he he kind of got like uh forced onto like the company path. His father was here. Uh, you know, uh, there's an element of nepotism there. Uh, what does Jimmy say about him? Like he's a shit lawyer, but he's a good schmoozer or something right. great like that. Salesman, yeah, great salesman. Uh, so like maybe he would have done better in a totally different enterprise. Uh, and and I think that those are all things that actually to me like make him um you know like a sympathetic rich character uh, that a lot of this is circumstance that brought him here in the same way that I think that Jimmy can be a sympathetic and rich character uh, on like the other side of that spectrum Um, these people who are kind of like in these positions that they probably wouldn't have necessarily picked for themselves if not for who they are and who they were born into and what they were born into Um, I think that Howard is somebody because like he has this weird veneer uh, about him and there is like sort of this gloss to Howard uh, that I think like he he can read as just like a full on, you know, douchebag. Um, but I think that w- when he's come to Jimmy here, to me, it read as authentic, and he was actually he's actually representative of of like the flip side of what I was saying earlier about the the idea of namaste and Zen and all of that, where like he has not achieved that full thing. But I think, like you said, like. He's somebody who's maybe like grown a bit in the past year that we haven't really gotten to see him too much. And he is somebody who in the past year has probably actually looked inward on some of that anxiety that he'd been feeling, some of the insomnia that he'd been suffering. Um, And I think like Jimmy looks at that in this episode and is like. Screw that. He's weak. He's a, he's a, he's a, you know, he's 2D. Like, he's not living his best life and he's not somebody that he's, he's the enemy. Uh, and I think like Jimmy's reaction to all of that is because like Howard's actually moving forward to some degree. But is he moving forward insofar as he's still keeping one eye on Jimmy? Is this something that he's just trying to do out of charity or is this because he thinks it's authentically in the best interest of everybody involved?
1: I think those are questions that people from the writer to the actor to everyone involved with the show is probably saying are all on the table. And I know Patrick Fabian, the actor who wonderfully plays Howard Hamlin, has his own take on things. Uh, he was on the Better Call Saul Insider podcast this week. So uh, if you want a double dose of very inside baseball conversations about uh, the specific aspects of how the bowling ball scenes uh, were crafted, they used, by the way, Josh, and air cannon. Uh, and if you want to talk, listen to Patrick Fabian, talk about his thoughts on Howard Hamlin. That is certainly on that podcast. Uh, It is, I think, open. Howard Hamlin is a person who, in my mind, is haunted by the dual ghosts of Chuck and his own father. Uh, I'm recalling the scenes that you were loosely referencing uh, in what you're discussing in the past where Howard, for example, says to Kim, like, I envy you. I wish I could be you. Like, he's talking about when (laughs) when Kim is leaving, Howard is very jealous. He he feels like he was... That's the guy I told you. Yeah, that's the guy I was talking about. He was, (laughs) like, backed into this uh, and he had no Choice, but to become part of Hamlin Hamlin, and McGill, uh, because while he is the second Hamlin, the first Hamlin uh, was the big Hamlin, he was the the king, and Howard was the prince, and so Howard never felt like he had another choice and there are times when you you have seen I think the well, slightly behind the veneer of the veneers of Howard Hamlin you have seen that he has tried to make his peace with this uh, gradually throughout uh, and it's something where he says well we all have our role to play like he just is 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 accepting of what he's doing now we have seen him at his lowest ebb uh, throughout season four of Better Call Saul in the aftermath of what happens with Chuck Howard blames himself Jimmy is more than happy to let Howard blame himself he says Howard that's your cross to bear. Uh, and he does not provide him any recompense or any knowledge that, no, Howard, it wasn't you who pushed Chuck into this. It was more likely me who did so. Um, he lets Howard take all that on. He encounters Howard in the courthouse bathroom. Howard hasn't slept in days. It makes Jimmy think that therapy is not a good option. But here we have, as you're observing at the beginning of this podcast, a more Zen version of Howard Hamlin, the Namaste license plate, Howard Hamlin. And the question, I guess, is 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 to twofold. One, is this true for Howard? That's what you're saying. Uh, He seems so desperate. The first time I watched this episode, I thought, I don't know that Howard, this guy who's so calculating and so smart uh, and so business oriented and so uh, like actually in, in terms of wanting to be above board, buying Chuck out of the firm, like trying to do the right thing by Kim, he seems like he's just all focused on business. I don't know that he would be going for Jimmy McGill. He has to know how bad of an idea that would be. He's seen this guy. It didn't necessarily ring true to me the first time I watched the episode, uh, that this would be an offer that Howard would make. But as I sat and thought about the Howard Hemlin character and the arc of him and where he has come from and what he has been through, uh, I think you're right. I think, there is a little bit of guilt there. I think there is a little bit of admiration for Jimmy there. I think he is carrying around a lot that maybe this this offer isn't coming from the healthiest place. Uh, maybe it's coming from a place where he's trying to right wrongs, where he's trying to do right by Jimmy, but maybe also do right by Chuck or do right by himself in considering the situations he was placed in. So it, it is a fascinating conversation for sure, and it is capped by the, the the vulnerability where he just can't not say Charlie Hustle. He just can't not do it that's when his that's when his voice catches like that's when he really is emoting in terms of like he really admired this about jimmy and he really felt that way and he really does feel guilty about putting his foot on jimmy's throat in service of chuck the way he did for all those years he has no way of knowing of course how late this ship is sailing, right? Like how far out past the docks that Jimmy McGill is. He doesn't know that Jimmy has just done business with Lalo and the DEA and felt so alive that in this episode with the 50% off guys, he says, I'm Saul Goodman. Like he is all in his full pomp in this episode. Howard doesn't know that that's who he's dealing with anymore. Jimmy McGill, as we know it, is basically gone. You can even watch this scene between Jimmy and Howard and see the physical moves uh, between Jimmy and Saul, and watch that in Bob Odenkirk's performance. Um, this is not Jimmy McGill anymore, in, in all intents and purposes. Yeah, there's some Jimmy McGill left, but the Charlie Hustle that Howard so admired, yeah, that characteristic is there, but not in a good way anymore. Now it's right. being used for bad. And Howard just does not realize where he's gone. Now he probably will realize it by the end of the episode. Do you think he will associate the bowling ball activity with Jimmy and with I the, the lunch?
0: I wonder. I wonder. Um, but I, I think, I think it's very likely. And I, I think that, like Howard, will. Uh, my my guess would be that, like Howard, will move on with his life fairly quickly. Like I, I think that Howard won't like sue Jimmy to the nines. That's a bitter Chuck move, and I don't think that that's going to be like a, a Howard move. Um, I think what Howard will do is, I think he'll he'll probably like. I expect what we'll get from Howard is like we'll get some kind of uh, commentary from him that is like very incisive against Jimmy. Right? Uh, that is like you know a real takedown of Jimmy. I think I think we are owed that. I think that um, you know Jimmy really like uh, took a grapefruit spoon to Howard's soul back in season four, and I think that the the favor needs to be returned. Um, and, so, I, and I
1: so expand on that if you can yeah. Let, like talk about why you think it was that Jimmy decided that the proper response to this earnest job offer was to throw the bowling balls through the car
0: because I think he thinks that Howard he the feelings that he has towards Hhm are the feelings that he has towards Chuck and the way that he feels about his old life and now he's doing something new and he's going to be successful in his own right Howard just gets lumped in with that Howard's just part of the enemy as far as that goes uh Jimmy has already like laid bare his true feelings about Howard uh even though you know Howard had always been in jimmy's corner howard was the original scapegoat and jimmy's never really allowed the nuance to see that maybe howard wasn't the wasn't the enemy here um why i think the favor needs to be returned in kind is because i think that jimmy needs to get to a place to see howard in a new light uh to even if it's not something he's going to recognize immediately because i think Thinking back to is it is it in season four where we have the Breaking Bad flash forward as a cold open where Jimmy as Saul and Francesca are shredding all the documents and he yeah. tells and he tells Francesca to call this person call this lawyer. Um, there's a lot of speculation about who that lawyer is that Francesca is being instructed to call. And if you and I are thinking that um, that Kim Wexler is going to be in Small Town wherever and is going to be available to Gene in the future, then she's likely not available in this moment in. in the Breaking Bad timeline. Um, So I would expect that that's probably Howard. I would expect that Howard is the person that Jimmy is telling Francesca to call. So I think like even if there isn't like a real reconciliation between Jimmy and and Howard, I think that there has to come an acknowledgement on Jimmy's part that's probably too little too late that howard 's a good dude, uh, or at least like a decent dude, somebody who can protect you in this moment, and especially somebody who has some level of nostalgic fondness, uh, if not fondness, at least some level of nostalgic obligation the mcgill clan uh that he would take francesca in on her wing
1: yeah that's um, a really good call because there were in, the, in that in that same scene that you're referencing there's this mysterious date uh where jimmy and francesca are to be at an appointed place in time and if jimmy's not there you know what to do like you're talking about who to call and those sorts of things uh it is interesting that that is reminding me you referencing that is reminding me and it, it again plays into this whole like Where are these characters on the spectrum that they're moving all over on the spectrum and that it is not a clean arc for any of them? Last season, uh, what? Before the scene you're talking about, where he said, You're a great, you're a shit lawyer, but you're a great salesman, uh, Jimmy sent the, a client. He sent, uh, the, the Alpine Shepherd boy, uh, when she passed away, uh, that, that lady, uh, he sent her, uh, relative who was needing some kind of will, uh, and estate, uh, executory, uh, privileges, or there was some situation with that. He sent them to Hamlin, Hamlin and McGill. He referred the client over there, said they have a great estate department. And it was, I think, coming from that place that you're talking about about, the fondness, the realization that, okay, maybe I do owe these people something, or especially this guy who really did care for me, and maybe he shouldn't bear the brunt of this. And I think that if I have to refer a client anywhere, that's where I'm referring them. That is what we saw then. But when Jimmy is in the office to deal with that, uh, Jimmy is is very upset at Howard because the firm is having a problem. They've brought in consultants. They've downsized. They've had a bad go of it. And Jimmy, that's when Jimmy gives Howard the pep-up speech that ends with him really kind of eviscerating his soul with a great fruit spoon, like you said. Uh, The question I have then is what we have after that is referenced in this uh, episode. We have the scene with the scholarship committee, where Jimmy is at HHM with Howard, and they're going over all the scholarship uh, recipients. And Jimmy, of course, uh, is upset because uh, a lot of people in the room, although not we don't see Howard doing it. We see a lot of people in the room uh, judging the uh, one of the uh, applicants because she had uh, shoplifted, and Jimmy feels like that's a judgment on his character. I'm not sure why he takes that out on Howard and why we're at this with this point with Howard. I think a lot of what's happening is true self-loathing. Like Jimmy Howard seeing something good in Jimmy would yeah. mean that Jimmy has to acknowledge something good in exactly. Jimmy. Yeah, yeah and the, the, he's,
0: and he's past that at this right, point. Right? Yeah,
1: he's well, well being. <laughs> Even I'm not sure if he's past it or if it's just that like he acknowledges or knows that letting that in, that letting that in at all will make the house of cards crumble. That he's building up around himself. What he's doing right now. Yes, he's building up this house of cards that makes him feel good, and letting any kind of option in there that will actually make him confront what he's papering over uh, with all of his behavior as Saul Goodman. You know, he's putting the Rita Hayworth poster on the wall, and in reality, there's a big hole behind it. That big hole is everything he hasn't dealt with via Chuck, everything he hasn't dealt with via his own feelings in terms of uh, just squaring away, like his own feelings of responsibility or lack thereof, or just in the way that Howard has clearly done so. I think Jimmy has not, and he's papered over that with Saul Goodman uh, in these loud suits uh, and the behavior that he's that he's en- engaging in, uh, and it's making him feel good. It's the classic self medicating that's making him feel good, uh, but it is not addressing the underlying problem, and I'm on some level, I think he's cognizant of the fact that acknowledging that I have worth outside of this means acknowledging this huge uh, elephant in the room that I haven't dealt with, uh, with everything with my brother. So the, the fact that this guy, it's the same thing that he had at Davis Maine, right? But it's at a different time in his life. At Davis and Maine, he says in, in references in this dinner, like, ask Clifford Maine what kind of person I am to work for or to work with. And I, I think at that time, it's like, no, I cannot be in a place where they see value in me because I don't see value in myself. Uh, and I, I only exist best when I'm fighting against that. Uh, when I have a chip on my shoulder and I'm saying, how dare you undervalue me? That's when I do my best work. Uh, and we see what he does with the 50% off guys in that very way in this episode, uh, where he's saying, how dare you undervalue me? Compare me to, he says, a public pretender, which is the same exact work that he used to do throughout the course of these first several seasons. He is openly and, and horribly so, by the way. Those are very good people that work in that system throughout the country. Um, he is openly being hostile to the to the very thing that he used to be with these guys, turning his nose up to them and saying, I am Saul Goodman. Uh, and I think that's by means of not having to address all of his under-addressed uh, issues. And so that comes out in the form of a bowling ball, uh, directly attacking uh, the car with the license plate that triggers him, uh, and certainly the person who owns it that triggers him as well. Uh, and like I said, that I think is the central part. You said the, the, the beating heart of this episode. I agree, but I think the same things or the same let, let, let's what what's in the soul of Jimmy McGill is going on between Kim and Jimmy. But I think what's happening there, and I think I'm sure you'll agree with me, is that Kim is sort of embracing the darkness in a way that is probably not good for her. She's heading down the Saul Goodman path, and that can't be good for her.
0: Well, so here's here's. Where I, where I'm forecasting this. So, so obviously Kim goes to Kevin and Page and is trying to get Mesa Verde to build on a different lot. Uh, so they can turn Tucumtari into like a full Mesa Verde town, right? Uh, and like give Miss Racker maybe some time to to actually uh, be like convinced to leave. Like she thinks that maybe she could still do some social engineering on that front. Um, and uh, Kevin is not having it. You know, this is our land; it's legally our land. If he wants a fight, it's a fight he'll have. We'll take the sheriff to him on Friday. All of that stuff. Uh, and she she tried. You know, like she tried to convince them and because it didn't work she can't let go of the fact that like what she she she's letting the little guy go like she can't do it she just she can't she can't have herself do it so in her mind leaning on jimmy uh to to come in and represent mr acker uh and cause a fight that way is going to be worth maybe saving this guy um but what's going to happen as a result of that is it's it's almost a little bit of a miracle that Kim hasn't been dumped by Mesa Verde yet. Um and yeah, it's think, gotta
1: be coming, right?
0: I think it's coming. I think it's coming, and I think it's through this. Uh I think it's because she's enlisting Jimmy to do it, and then Jimmy will probably take the fact that like Kim, you know, leaned on him to help her out with this as like uh free reign, carte blanche to do it his way, to do it the Saul Goodman way. And he may do it in a way that is really uh dastardly that Kim can't abide that really reminds her of all of the ways that she has compromised herself in leaning into the Saul Goodman tactics. Uh, and I think will finally be the thing that pushes her and Jimmy away. And Jimmy will be bitter about it because like, I was just helping you and you know, Kim will be like, it's not it, 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 that that's to me, like that is the queer source of the breakup. I think it could be a season long arc. Again, worth reminding that like we're almost halfway through the season already. Yeah. Uh, show show moves slow, but it yeah. also moves fast. Uh that I, I think by the end of the season this blows up. Mesa Verde is no longer in Kim's possession because uh Jimmy showed uh Mr. Acker uh something happening between a man and a horse that I shall not repeat. <laughs> uh
1: and it's a man.
0: <laughs> And is gonna ta- it's going to take a horse. And it's going to take those tactics to Mesa Verde. And Mesa Verde will pull out. And then it's not going to work well at uh, Schweigert and Coakley for Kim moving forward from there. Uh, so, yeah, I think that her days here are really rightfully numbered. I think that you can see the bullet points on that path pretty plainly. And I think it'll be the thing that Kim needs to sober up. Right. I think that that's the thing is like. I think we're seeing with Howard Howard is a guy who if he's not like you know you know sobriety is a path and like you know it's it's always like a, a fragile thing but like he's, he's sobered up you know like in his soul has sobered up to a certain degree Kim is not there. There are moments where she is is doing things for all the right reasons, but then she like goes back to the Jimmy stuff. And I am you know careful not to like cast too many aspersions on her because I think that she's like she's got like a little bit of a problem. Uh, but I I think that one of the things I feel like the show is gonna is going to make clear one of my feelings about the thematics of the show anyway is um you got to sober up, you got to sober up on this stuff. Like you can't just let yourself like be deep in the vortex of all this bad effing shit. Like you can't, you can't just take the easy way out. You have to grow up. You have to be an adult. You have to do things, you know, a a more right way. Like there is no 100% right way. But you can't, like, spill baby milk on, you know, a blueprint as part of a con to Gladys. You know, (laughs) you can't can't do that stuff. Uh, And I think that um, a lot of people were very concerned about Kim Wexler's fate because she's not in Breaking Bad. And I and maybe setting myself up for extraordinary failure and heartbreak. But I am, I am really concerned about Kim from the perspective of like, she and Jimmy aren't going to last. Like she and Jimmy are definitely going to break up. Um, But this isn't a show that kills Kim Wexler. I don't think. Uh, I think that this is a show that allows Kim Wexler to know that like, She's crossed a line. She's going to suffer consequences for it, but she will be able to rebuild her house of cards in a right way. And I think for her that will mean going back to a small town and doing good locally there. Yeah. Um, and and I think that the, the 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 stage is really set for all of that based and, on and then the Gene of this and episode. then Gene
1: coming back uh, perhaps right. Gene saying, "Look, I know we didn't work out, uh, or maybe they will, but." Uh, I need your help. Like, here's where I'm at with this. Uh, and and either I need she you. helps him or yeah. she turns him in. Right. You know? And I think right.
0: both of those could potentially be satisfying, right. actually. Like, I think like there, I mean, like, Oh God, like the, the Skylar white mob will come out in full force. Oh uh, uh, yeah, you Let's know, not against, talk
1: about that mob.
0: I know. Like they'll come out against Kim Wexler. And when that happens, uh, I'm going to war uh <laughs> that is not something that i will stand for uh you do not besmirch kim wexler uh but like kim would be well within her rights to be like you get like i believe in justice and justice is you gotta go to jail buddy See, uh or it, there's or there's enough history that she helps him out i think like both of those are earnable endings
1: i think we're and i i it, for me We are in a situation where we are right to analyze Kim and her role in the story vis-a-vis Jimmy. Uh, I certainly like to think of her as an individual absent uh, the Jimmy McGill influence. But there's such intertwined people at this point um, that it is difficult to separate one from the other. Uh, And to give her agency certainly does a great job of that. Uh, And I would like to see that one way or the other. What I will say is it's not... (laughs) I know that the we're talking about like how, and I agree with you, that we're probably in the midst of a season-long arc that ends with the two of them uh, breaking apart as a result of what happens with Kim and Mesa Verde uh, and pushing them away and maybe losing them and Schweikert and Coakley pushing her away. The thing is, I don't think the show should, and I don't feel that it is. Uh, presented or should be presented as a bad outcome for Kim that she loses a bank client. Uh, I think what we're seeing out of Kim Wexler and what we have seen from her talk of Atticus Finch and To Kill a Mockingbird on Up is she has the soul uh, of a compassionate lawyer uh, and that her working with a bank is is something that maybe she thought she wanted, but when it came down to it, it is not why uh, she is meant to practice law. And you're right in observing that that's why a good outcome for her is maybe ending up back in a small town and really helping everyone in that small town, right? Uh, that's why it is not a bad outcome for that. That is not a fall from grace. Uh, that is an, an ascent into the position uh, that she is meant to occupy. Uh, and so I don't. I, I understand where that would cause a breakup between the two of them. But in the end, I think it's a good thing for her not to be working with Mesa Verde. I think she thinks it's a good thing. I think this is a uh, from a legal standpoint. This is a thing a lot of. Lawyers lawyers struggle with, obviously, um, is this idea of what is my role? Um, The the call out uh, that Mr. Acker read her to filth for uh, was ultimately like really accurate, right? It's like you're one of those people who uh, you work really hard for a corporation like this, and then you throw some money at charity every month, and you feel better about yourself. And I think... That is not why she helps her public defense clients, but I think that she can understand why that might be an appropriate read uh, and why that that is maybe why she's still not a good fit for Mesa Verde. We have seen that soul of her throughout. She feels bad about what happened with Chuck. Um, she doesn't like making a, a regional or local bank into a regional bank. She doesn't feel good about these accomplishments. Yeah, She's a person who we've seen stacking trophies in her office of all the banks she's opened. But at her core, that's not who she is. And to the extent that Jimmy is helping her uh, reach that point, I don't know that that has to end their relationship because it is ultimately, I think, a good thing for her that she not be trapped in this Mesa Verde position. Uh, it could end worse for her. She could end up in trouble with the bar. That's the sort right. of thing that I'm worried about. Sure. You, you, I think, are really right to pull out the Gladys and the Milk situation because I still think that that's an unresolved. Thing. I think that that's one of those things where if you're, a, let's say you're a page from Mesa Verde, um, you're certainly capable of putting all of these pieces together. Wait, Goodman, isn't that McGill? And wasn't yeah. McGill the guy that you were helping to do the thing uh, against the other McGill? And isn't there a connection between the two of you? Oh, and by the way, I've never really, I've never really like figured out how were you able to get that branch in Lubbock changed? Like there are, there are all these 11th hour things. Like I'm starting to wonder what your, yeah, I mean, where like, your magic comes from
0: there's a there's a moment that you can imagine coming up that will be like <laughs> i mean like Paige is gonna have her moment where she's sitting on the porcelain throne exactly, reading the book right? dedicated to to ww <laughs> yes exactly you know?
1: sg who could that be <laughs> yeah, yeah you
0: know like I but like you can imagine you know a a less dramatic uh hank coming to jesus moment of realizing that walt is heisenberg uh of realizing that uh, Kim to some degree is Saul Goodman, right? Like the realizing to some degree what Kim has been able to do in order to to move the needle on on certain things, not just for Mesa Verde but also for Jimmy. Um, the fact that Jimmy is being uh, brought in to to the Mister Acker thing, the fact that uh, Kim has, if Kim hadn't had, I mean, even if she had, uh, Kim having that um, that meeting with them in this episode. About like what's built elsewhere in Tucumtari, uh clearly because of Mr. Acker, uh, is just like another thing that's going to ping on their radar. So I don't think that there's any way that this ends well in terms of the continued relationship between Kim and Mesa Verde. Uh, I don't. I think that she's run out of chances where Paige is like, uh, you have. It's like it's Jimmy or it's us. I don't think that like that option, realistically, I don't think that option should exist at this point. I think Paige has given Kim a lot of rope. Uh, and Kim is great at what she does and everything like that. But, um, she has, uh, shown from, from Paige's perspective, uh, on multiple occasions that she prioritizes other things above Mesa Verde. And that's not what they were looking for in their, in their, uh, representative. Um, so I, I think especially if she loops someone like Jimmy into this situation, it's not going to be good. Yeah. does
1: bad. It, it is. It, But the thing is, like I said, I still am left with feeling like it is ultimately a good thing for Kim to have this situation separated, to not end up being the Mesa Verde attorney, to not be on that side. I don't know that. I, I think she realizes this. I think she knows this. I think when Rich Schweikert gave her her little come to Jesus talk about who's paying the bills and keeping lights on a couple episodes ago, uh, she is not stupid. She understands that this is where the bread is being buttered. I just don't think. She likes the arrangement anymore. Uh, and she is taking affirmative action clearly in this episode. If it wasn't clear enough, she's the reason Jimmy goes to Tukum Carey. She's the reason Jimmy knew to solicit Mr. Acker directly. Uh, and it is a plan that she's going to, to make to work against Mesa Verde. She's probably going to be representing Mesa Verde against Jimmy, uh, which is going to be interesting. I just don't see how Paige ultimately doesn't blow all this up. Or Rich Weikert, who clearly knows who Jimmy McGill is as well. Uh, yeah. I just don't know. I mean, we've seen that throughout. Rich Schweikert saying, hey, how's Jimmy? Uh, oh, I wanted to see Jimmy. Like we, We've seen him talking about Jimmy McGill. He had interactions with the man. He has had some bad interactions with the man. He knows who he is. Uh, this is if, if we get to uh, actually a, uh, a situation where Kim is oppositional as Mesa Verde's counsel with Jimmy uh, as Saul Goodman, uh, there's no way that that doesn't ultimately pull the plug for Kim uh, via the back channels of Rich Schweikert and Paige. Uh, I just don't know that Kim will be upset about that. I think the more likely scenario is she maybe gets in trouble with the bar herself uh, and that pushes uh, the Jimmy McGill away. She seems to be embracing the Saul Goodman of it all. She knows how to use Saul Goodman. She knows he's the man for the job. Um, she knows he's the guy for this. Uh, and that's the difficult thing is maybe if she just only sees that in him anymore, uh, I don't know. We, we begin the episode, of course, between the two of them. Uh, they are, they clearly have, uh, had a romp. They are not in flagrante delecto, as they say, not Pierre delecto. Uh, but they are nude in bed. Uh, we do not see a lot of that between the two of them. This is not a show that leans into that angle. So even seeing the aftermath of it, uh, is certainly, um, saying something without show, showing something without saying it, right? Like, right. And it, it lets us know where they are in their relationship and keeping in mind where that physical interaction came from, what they were doing in the immediate moments preceding that with the beer bottles. Uh, they're not in a healthy place right now. Uh, and I don't know where that ends, uh, but you have to also keep in mind... Seems like a fun night. It seemed like a fun night. Uh, it seemed like a fun <laughs> night. Kim, yeah. even though Jimmy says like, that's why you pay the rent. Uh, Kim still feels the need to sweep up the glass, I know. Uh, but it does seem yeah. like a very fun night for sure. Uh, but you know, they're, they have been at at odds. Like thinking of the refrigerator uh, thief uh, and the beginning of this season and Jimmy's uh, ploy and how upset and dirty that made Kim feel. And yet here she is. She, by the way, knows who she's dealing with. We see her watch. The, the, the Matlock moment or the courtroom drama moment, uh, the better call Saul 1.0 beta version moment, uh, where Jimmy switches the clients. She is, uh, takes that all in. We see it almost from the back of her head. We watch the court disappear and she sits and waits it out. She knows exactly who she is getting when she brings Saul Goodman into this mix, uh, totally. to work with Mr. Acker. So I, I know that she can. Probably lash out against him later and be angry at herself for all of this. She is a willing participant, and again, I don't think it's that bad of a deal for her to not work for Mesa Verde anymore, especially for her I own agree. health and happiness. I agree. So it has to be for me. it Has to be something more than it just goes bad. It has to go real I, I bad think, professionally. I
0: think, yeah, but I, I think that this I think that certainly the audience loves Kim Wexler, and I think that the show loves Kim Wexler, and I and I I don't think that this show is going to give her a dark ending. Do you know what I mean? Like I I, think I that, agree. I, I think that this show is going to is going to give Kim Wexler uh, a just ending and it's not going to be an easy path. Um, but I think that Kim Wexler is the kind of person who throws beer bottles and breaks them on cars, but then cleans up the glass. Uh, and I I think that whatever bottles are about to break, she's going to clean up the glass uh, and she will she will find something something to do that will be productive and good and powerful. Um Again, call me an optimist. I'm not that concerned for Kim in the long
1: haul. I'm not um, either. No, I, I am I am not either. And I'm certainly not concerned if uh Two she weeks loses or now we'll get on and we'll be like, Ah yeah,
0: they shot Kim.
1: Lalo, oh! Lalo, no, <laughs> oh no! But it, you're you're right. Like it, it, in this whole this whole enterprise is, uh, is the way you treat other people says a lot about the way you're feeling about yourself at the time, uh, and the the bargains that you strike uh, as a result of that uh, it, they really are being exposed. That is certainly what we see. Uh, can we talk about poor Lyle, uh, Josh, <laughs> uh, and everything that's happening with poor Lyle in this acceptable. episode? Poor Lyle,
0: uh, yeah. oh my god. God. Is You're Lyle s- still working at Poyo Hermanos in uh, Breaking Bad?
1: It's a good question. I don't know the answer to that, um, um, and I don't. I don't know that we ever let me see. see. I, I think that there's yeah. a way to find
0: out. Uh, we should,
1: because this is a guy, he, he clearly has risen to the level of Mr. Manager. He is assistant yeah. manager. He is the, he is clearly a guy who <laughs> is, uh, very much uh, in all of and desiring desperately to please Gustavo Frang, yeah. uh, which is certainly, so he's like a, a Gail Bedecker in that way. Yeah. Uh, and we see that Gust, Clearly knows this, uh, and he can uh, really the the cruelty of Gus Fring is clear here. He's he- not if
0: he if he's working for Gus in the Breaking Bad timeline. I don't believe we ever see him. Uh, so I think it may be like eventually Lyle's just either going to get fired or he's just going to have it up to here with uh, Lyle's going
1: to get him. Josh. L-
0: oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some, Lyle. Ju- uh, justice. Lyle. Justice for Lyle. Justice Lyle. for Lyle. Well, what a great name. Don't meet Lyle. enough Lyles anymore.
1: I think we meet just enough <laughs> <laughs> sorry Danny Lyle's in the audience uh, uh, Yeah, no, I think to we made just enough just uh, enough uh yeah this is uh this is just Gus for my favorite
0: video game character's name was Lyle he had green hair he was a badass What's,
1: what is this what fantasy, is this
0: fantasy star three fantasy uh, star three the uh, I only, the uh, I, only I only played
1: off. the first two oft maligned
0: fantasy star sequel fantasy star <laughs> three is uh, of the four uh story driven non-rp uh, fantasy stars they made people were pretty thumbs down on three but i like it is I fantasy like it spelled pretty... with an f
1: or a ph it's a ph in the case I of fantasy so. star yeah
0: i mean it kind of represents the fantasy star series to an extent it's a little bit like final fantasy knockoff
1: so lyle um <laughs> He is a fantasy star character. He is an assistant manager. He is somebody who is desperate to please Gus Fring. Gus Frank knows this. Let's him suffer... Uh and he lets him suffer why because Gus himself is suffering with the stress of figuring out if this dead drop plan is going to go off he's sitting there waiting by a burner phone uh and so if Gus is suffering someone else should suffer too right like I shouldn't yeah. have to suffer alone L- let Lyle prostrate himself at my feet in the form of cleaning this fryer to the point his hair is going to fall out uh and let me do all of that uh because I'm I'm a little peeved that I have to give up $700,000 to the DEA
0: yeah it sucks, because, like, Lyle is the most loyal... Loyal uh, Lyle. Loyal Lyle, you know? Lyle's very loyal to, to Gus' ring, and he wants to do a good job, and Gus is just, like, making him, like, work until his nails fall off, you know, until his, like, hands are bleeding. Um, not be sanitary in any day and age, but certainly I'm glad this all takes place in the past. Uh, <laughs> not, couldn't not, couldn't, not couldn't Gus have
1: been a little nicer than saying it was acceptable? Yes! Yes. Why did he have course. to continue what he, he was he's, doing?
0: Because because what you said. He's pissed off right now, yeah. and uh, I, I do think that we have seen when when Gus has a has, when Gus gets angry. Uh, certainly, when he gets at his angriest, he roars with fury and then explodes. <laughs> <laughs> like he literally explodes with fury. Uh, but like usually, like his version of anger is quieter uh, and is more resentful. And he is very passive aggressive in his rage. This
1: is, yeah, this is a guy who quietly knelt while uh, he was taking out all of his rivals with poison.
0: Yes, yeah. He, like, very, very casually, like, robotically knelt down, removed his tie, folded 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 it up. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like, to make sure everything was going to be neat and clean. Uh, So he is maybe to some degree like a germaphobe. Right, like he 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 may be to some degree just a true neat freak. Good, good timing. Uh, so, exactly. So like he may wash your
1: hands, everybody.
0: I absolutely. So he yeah. may, in, like in in a very real way, be like uh, the friar isn't acceptable to his standards, but usually he's just gonna let it go, or usually he doesn't like. Look closely enough, but I mean this is a guy who I think both like to maintain some level of cover, but also probably because he enjoys like the the mundane nature of the work is he likes to clean up Pollo's Hermanos. You know, we we see him, like, dealing with the trash. We see him sweeping up the floors. Uh, I think it's both to maintain cover, but also because there's something, like, mechanical and methodical about it. And this is a very mechanical and methodical guy. Um, and I think that, like, um, seeing the friar at a level that if he were the one who was cleaning it is not good enough for him. Um, and And maybe to some degree, it's almost like Get out of your Lyle. I want to clean it myself so that I have something to like distract myself with as I'm giving away all of this money to maintain a ruse. Uh, there, there could be an element of that, and like it's a testament to Lyle that like he uh, Gus Spring instills such loyalty that even somebody who works at the chicken restaurant uh, is going to put in that level of work. Um, but it was brutal. It was brutal to see uh, to see Lyle do that.
1: It was. It it, it, it was intercut, of course, with the scenes uh, of while Gus was uh, undergoing his personal rage and quiet uh, anger, uh, it was intercut with the disappointment ultimately that Hank experienced. Uh, We had Hank and Gomi again in this episode, Josh, talking about the majestic culverts of Spain. Yes. Uh, They're nice and relaxed throughout, but it is ultimately the Hank, a good character note for Hank, is the kind of guy that can seize $300,000 and arrest three people and still be very disappointed, but then still uh, pep up the troops uh, with a rousing speech afterward. I think a very good uh, character moment for a character that I don't know how much more time we're going to spend in this season with of Better Call Saul. I know earlier this season on the podcast, you talked about uh, where Hank could or could not fit. Do you think that this is the last we'll see of Hank and Gomi, or do you think we'll see him a couple more times? Or uh, how do you think they fit in in this whole grand scheme going forward after the disappointment that Hank suffered in this episode?
0: Yeah, I don't know. So it, it seems to me that the company line is that like it was just like a quick flash in the pan cameo for for Hank and Gomi. But like if this is still going to be ongoing with, with, uh, with Domingo as a CI, with Crazy Ace as a CI for for uh for Hank and Gomi like I feel like they kind of have to be here to some extent. Like I can't imagine like we're just totally done with them or at least you know maybe it's phone calls and stuff like that. Um I guess it's possible, but I I feel like the doesn't it feel like the story isn't done for them and I know the story continues in Breaking Bad, so you know maybe they can just like kind of like dip around it, but uh I felt I I feel like if this is it for Hank and Gomi, I'm almost I'm glad we got him. Like, I'm glad that we had two weeks of Hank and Gomi on our screen, but like, just doesn't quite feel like enough. The
1: The question I have really is, it's twofold. One, what will the fallout be in terms of uh, Juan Bolsa and Don Hector and all of the other involved parties, Don and Lodio, uh with Gus, with the $700,000 going missing and Lalo? This was Lalo's plan. Like, what will the fallout be via via Gus and all of that? And is that something that the DEA will be involved in? Will there be violence uh, that evolves? Uh, as a result of whatever happens uh, in this in this way. Uh, I don't know if that's something that we'll see, but I feel like that shoe still has to drop. And that shoe dropping and whatever activity changes as a result of this $700,000 uh, and whatever Gus's revenge is, right? Because that's the thing. We know what Gus's ultimate revenge is in terms of uh, Don Eladio and Juan Bolsa. But we don't know what Gus's revenge for this act will be and how Gus's response to this will be in terms of taking Lalo out of the mix. Whatever that is, uh, could easily uh, involve Hank, especially with Domingo right. uh, getting you know his ear to the ground. What do you know? What have you seen? What have you heard? Uh, so I'm not sure we've seen the last of Hank and Gomi vis-a-vis that. Uh, but I feel like that's the next step in this is we have to see more of Gus now and what happens with Gus. Uh, as I said earlier in the season, I still feel like the reference to what Happened in Santiago, uh, and whatever Gus's background is that makes him an outsider between he and the cartel. I think that's something uh, that we could get into. I just think we're going to we're going to encounter Hank and Gomi vis a vis Gus and the ground that we still in this prequels of Breaking Bad can cover with Gus. We have not seen it all. Uh, we will see it all. My my thinking is, and the more we see of Gus, the more likely we're going to invoke the DEA, even though. He's a guy the DEA never really had their eyes on. Uh, He did. I'm sure goes to great lengths. Hank
0: meets Gus in Breaking Bad, right? So they're not in the
1: office. Like he's known as a guy who is like great to the DEA and all of these things. But
0: they had never met before. So, uh, you know, I I think that that closes a door to a certain extent on on Hank and Gus hanging out.
1: And, but what I do think is that whatever the aftermath uh, that with Gus in this moment is, will invoke Frank, will invoke Hank and Gomi to an extent. Uh, Gus is not a guy who makes moves in a vacuum. Uh, he clearly did not just do this without a plan. Uh, he, I know, has an idea of where this ha- where this goes next and what his next move will be. He's like a he's like a Kendall Roy, Josh. What's your move? What's your next move? Like yeah. he's got the moves on the board and he's always thinking about them. I think that's what happens with Mike in this episode. Are we on the same page? About this, Mike. Of course, we don't see a ton of Mike. Uh, he has an encounter uh, with Stacy trying to babysit with Kaylee. Uh, Stacy's like,
0: "You're not right. Like yeah. things are not okay with you." And Mike's like, "I'm fine.
1: <laughs> I would be more comfortable if you didn't sit for Kaylee tonight." Okay, yeah. uh, go away. And uh, what if she, she mentions says, Maddie
0: again? Don't yeah. bring up Maddie. You're done.
1: <laughs> yeah, she says, "Mike, you're done." Uh, and Mike uh, takes that out on himself. I. He's in that classic position. We. have have seen uh, from TV and film characters where he thinks he deserves a punishment. He knows he deserves a little punishment. He invites the trouble. He invites the danger. He invites well, the fight.
0: It's a, so it's a draw right now, right? Like there's got to be a round three. We got <laughs> to break the tie uh, where these guys, uh, they, they were on the wrong end of Mike last time. He's on the wrong end of them now. When he, whenever he makes his way back to Albuquerque, uh, we got to see round three.
1: Assuming those guys are still alive, because clearly uh, <laughs> yeah. clearly, what happened is there was some sort of intervention after Mike was stabbed. Yeah, uh, Mike does not remember.
0: I guess that is round three. Mike seemingly ends <laughs> up
1: in Mexico, uh, uh. I think, just based on the way it was colored and uh, shot uh, and everything Victor's there.
0: like is trailing Mike probably. Yes. That, and, would, yeah. that
1: would seem to be it, right? That Gus has had eyes on Mike the whole time. Like, this guy might be a liability. He's a loose cannon right now. I don't trust where he could end up. Just let's see what happens. And yeah, I think round three ended with some sort of, uh, Victor Victor showing up and just pop,
0: pop, 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 pop. Yep. Yep.
1: Exactly, yeah, yeah. Uh, and running them over with an Aztec, uh, and then uh, ultimately taking Mike uh, into some sort of recoup situation. Uh, Mike will probably be encountering the doctor, uh, Gus's Mexican doctor, Gus's right. clinic, where Mike has been they before. Have a Relationship, others. right? Yes, exactly. Mike yeah. uh, obtained uh, the drugs from them uh, from that doctor last season when he was, or two seasons ago, I think, when he was doing the thing with the shoes yeah. uh, with the setup. So. I think that's probably where Mike will end up. I think Gus was involved in that. I don't know. I think what we're trying we're trying to figure out right now where from a story standpoint and I don't know if you have any thoughts on this is How does Mike end up back with Gus? Does this involve Mike uh, accepting some negative aspect of himself or does he see the good in what Gus is doing? Like, where, how does Mike end up back in good graces with Gus? Or is it always going to be a relationship we didn't realize in Breaking Bad, which is that Mike was just under Gus's thumb in a bad way the whole time?
0: No, I mean, like when he, when, when, uh, Walt and Jesse, you know, pull off their plan to kill Gus and, and Mike is furious with them. You know, he says, we had a good thing with Fring, like you, you, rest up a, you, you messed up a good thing with Fring. I guess like there's a read of that where like Mike was, you know, white knuckling his way through the Gus Fring enterprise. But I always got the sense that he respected him and, and didn't have an issue working with Gus. So I, I think that there's certainly a sustained element of self-loathing that Mike ehrman is never going to recover from. Uh, cause we know that he ends up being liquefied in a barrel, <laughs> you know, like it this doesn't end well for Mike. Uh, there's, there's no universe where that, where that shakes out in a different way. Um, so I think like he could, he could, we could see him get to a place where he just resents himself so much that why not, uh, just sink lower? Why not just like go further and further down? I'm already at the bottom of the barrel. Let's see what's underneath that. Um, I think that that's in play, but I do also think that depending on where he is right now, depending on who he meets, um, you know, if he's about to see like some of the generosity of Gus Spring, what Gus is able to do with the money he's making, like if there's some sort of like philanthropic effort that Gus really does care about, like in terms of like helping people south of the border and like trying to make their lives a little bit better, if there's if, if there's something like that that resonates within Mike, if Mike is able to have like some kind of like you know, wild West hero type of like saving a small town sort of situation. Some, some better call Saul version of that type of the story. Uh, I think that you can imagine, um, you can imagine Mike maybe feeling, uh, a level of respect for Gus that he currently does not possess. Uh, so I think we gotta, we gotta see where this story goes from here. Um, I, I think it's, it's clearly not, uh, you know, I think, I, I think that it's very clear to me that Mike is, is, Out of Albuquerque and in a position where he is going to be forced to get a new perspective on the entire Gus Fring enterprise and based on how Breaking Bad plays out, I I feel like he's going to walk away from this feeling better about Gus.
1: Yeah, and the doctor certainly helps with that, right? Uh, and seeing that aspect of it, uh, and some of the good things that Gus is doing at his core, though, Gus is a bad guy, and he is a drug dealer, and he is right.
0: you know, the it's thing. Is- Excuses—that's the, the show's all about excuses you make uh, when you think you're a good person. You do, you know, uh, what it's what Mr. Acker says to Kim. Right? Yeah, like, it's yeah. like, you know, you're the kind of person who donates to charity and make you think that you're a good person.
1: Well, and Mike doesn't have the perspective that Lydia has really uh, kind of tried to force on him, even in Better Call Saul, when Mike says, like, uh, what are you doing all this for a drug dealer? Or whatever he says to Lydia. And Lydia says, like, listen, if you think that all Mr. Fring is is a drug dealer, like, you have no idea who he is. And so I think you're right. Him being out of Albuquerque and getting that perspective is probably worthwhile. It also probably helps to have a common enemy uh in the, in terms of the salamancas that's what brought them together uh and so to the extent that something bad happens with gus vis-a-vis the salamancas uh, mike might feel more connected in that way um or mike might feel more connected if he learns more and this is where my you know this my thought of um gus's backstory coming into play more uh may provide mike some perspective that he's lacking right now uh maybe they have more in common than mike realizes and uh, maybe there is a there is a Maddie, uh in gus's life or something like that uh that uh, some vulnerability or some perspective uh, will really change Mike's view. I think that's Mike's story from this season. Uh, I have talked a lot on this podcast generally about how it's funny that the the show Breaking Bad was very much following in the mold of its title, uh, that it was about Walter White Breaking Bad. It was about uh, how that played out in Skylar White and some of these other characters around him, even as other characters like Jesse Pinkman were finding redemption. Uh, this show... Better Call Saul, for me, it's about almost all of these characters breaking bad. It's about almost all of them uh, ending up in a worse place, because that's where we find uh, most of them, uh, the ones that are in it, at the beginning of Breaking Bad. Uh, and it is certainly the story of Jimmy Miguel circling the drain. We've talked how it is the story of Kim, I think, on this podcast, and certainly other episodes of this podcast. We've talked about how it doesn't have to end that way for Kim. It can end with her in a better place, or at least a place that is not so negative, like it is with Saul Goodman. Uh, but for... In Mike's case, I think the the greater story is uh, him... Coming to grips with everything that happened with Maddie, uh, finding his peace with that, such that he's able to be a cold-blooded killer for Gus Fring uh, and not feel as guilty about some of these things, or at least find a way to channel that guilt in a negative way. Um, whether you whether that's bad or good uh, is certainly up to your interpretation. But that's certainly where we're headed with Mike. So I think it's it's worthwhile to say where are we in terms of signposting that. And right now, I think it's going to involve Mike not selling out some aspect of his personality, but whatever that aspect of his personality is that feels bad about Matty, uh, finding some way that that can resonate uh, or that that resonates with whatever it is he's going to learn about the Gus Fring organization that's going to make him feel like he can work with this guy. Um, I don't think it's going to mean compromising himself entirely. I just don't think the story of the Mike character is going to be selling out all of uh, the humanity in himself. Uh, maybe it is. Maybe that's where we're headed. I just I find it more likely that it's going to be that he finds, like you're saying, a way to bind that humanity to some part of Gus Fring's story that's human as well. Uh, But I I
0: think to, you know, you talk about uh, how Breaking Bad is about, you know, people breaking bad. Uh, (laughs) And and so like, is Better Call Saul. Like, how how do you apply the title to... It's about uh, people
1: better calling Saul.
0: But, but I actually, you know, I, I do think it's, it's certainly not as elegant and clean as breaking bad, because Saul is is hanging on, uh, you know, the, 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 the hinge of, of a specific character. But I think that the idea for me that you could broadly apply to the main characters of the show is this notion of summoning a persona, uh, and what you can do and what you're capable of for good and for ill. When you are not operating as yourself, you are operating as a fiction, you're operating, you're wielding a badge, you're behind something, there's a shield, it's got a name, it's not always Saul Goodman for everybody, uh, you know, like there's, you know, for, for Mike, can he operate differently if he is able to like maintain like, I'm Gus's guy. And that's not who he should be, but he summons that up within himself. For Kim, there are these moments where she summons this side of herself, this persona where she's willing to, to work in a different way. Um, that's calling, that's calling quote unquote Saul. Uh, for Jimmy, it's obviously a lot more clear. Uh, for Chuck, is he, is he summoning this persona in the, you know, the electromagnetic, uh, you know, phobia that he's concocted for himself? Uh, is he concocting this, this, uh, persona that he is He's the older, better, wiser brother, um, and so I think that that permeates Better Call Saul. And I, I think that, in so far as like Breaking Bad is about um, how different people do unforgivable things, and can they either, if you can't quite come back from it. Can you stop
1: <laughs> you know, like, can you, can you stop
0: is 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 more the question for me? Can you stop and can you stand against it no and I think and I think it's a similar question for better call saw uh is uh can you be authentic can you be uh can you can you ditch the persona? can you ditch the bullshit uh and I think that Different characters are going to have different answers to that question. Sadly, I think for Mike, it'll come too little too late. Um, and I think that the jury is still out where it pertains to folks like Kim and and Jimmy, uh, where we, we know, you know, you, you would think just based on the ending of Breaking Bad that we've got our answer as it pertains to Jimmy. And, you know, the Gene storyline is very bleak right now. But is there a way that Jimmy can cast even the Gene persona away? Uh, is he going to be able to tear that stuff up and become Jimmy McGill again? And all that that entails, which will not be pleasant. Um, I think that these are the questions that the show asks.
1: Definitely. Uh, and I think that's a very eloquent way to to look at it. And... I think they would be the people that make the show would be proud uh to talk about the show on this level because that is what happens and that's the position that they're in because of uh making a prequel right because they're they're in and certainly dealing with some characters we haven't even talked about Nacho uh in in on this episode because he wasn't in it uh but he's in this same boat right and so there are a lot of these characters that are facing uh these questions and it's just a matter of how it all gets resolved uh and I think when I do you know from a production standpoint, when they were making um, these episodes in the middle I of don't. season five, did they know, yeah. did they know that they were ending with season six?
0: I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think so, but I don't know for sure.
1: Because that's obviously, those are very different things. I'm I sure think, that
0: they suspect, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure, you know, I think they, they're certainly not building season five thinking this is the final season, but I think that they got to imagine that, you know, with, with ratings of the budget and contrasting that, that they've got one more season, if that.
1: Yeah, so I think that they probably, uh, are into the point where they know they're, they're close to the end game now, and they've seen all the possibilities. They know which one will work, uh, and they know who has to die and who has to live for that to be the case. So, uh, I, 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 I think, my thinking is with the gene scene; they had, they have at least that plan in mind uh, when they're saying, "I'm going to take care of it myself." I think that they know that this may be a black and white uh, Kim and uh, Jimmy caper, and that's what we're going to get. Or it may be Jimmy trying something that's going to end up in a certain other way that doesn't involve Kim. I think they have the plan, is what I'm saying with that. With regard to the rest of this stuff, I'm not sure. Uh, but it is, it is, uh, is an episodes like this in the middle of the season can feel a little wheel spinny, like we talked about uh, the, the 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 bowling ball of it all. Uh, the cold open, the smelling of the farts, uh, but they're from a character standpoint. I think they are moving these pieces around, knowing where they're going and how much time they have to get there. Uh, I just wanted to hit a couple of more, a couple more things, a little uh, deeply as we wrap up here. Um, the scene with Jimmy and the fifty percent off crew that we reference—he's um, got a lot of Saul Goodman bluster in that scene. Uh, it works. It works. He pulls the trick that he just watched Hank pull with the getting up to leave the room and knock on the door. Uh, I I did not like this Saul Goodman. This guy's an asshole. uh, And this is, I think, the most Saul Goodman we have seen from Jimmy McGill in the course of this series. Would you agree with that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And it's not good, right? Like, it doesn't play well on this show because we know Jimmy McGill and because we know everything he can be. This is the Saul Goodman from Breaking Bad, and he's an asshole, and I hate him.
0: Yeah. I don't like seeing him. It's so funny. The the magic trick of the show has been uh, like you started off being like, oh, man, here we go. Let's find out. Oh, he's too Jimmy McGill. This is so weird. What a strange transition. And now as he's transitioning to Saul Goodman, we're like, I miss Jimmy McGill.
1: (laughs) This guy sucks. Well, and it's funny. And the next thing I want to talk about a little bit more is at the lunch. Uh, It's funny because at the lunch... When Howard asks him who is Saul Goodman uh, he gives Jimmy gives that big speech about you he's know David.
0: the David he's a David
1: yeah he's the David right exactly he's the last line of defense for the little guy he's a writer of wrongs and a friend to the a friendless that is not the guy that we saw in that previous scene no. so uh, he, that is not who Saul Goodman is that may be who Jimmy wants to package as Saul Goodman. Howard is right to assume like why couldn't Jimmy McGill do all that like he's right to observe that uh, but I think the juxtaposition of those two scenes is is fascinating to me because that is not who Saul Goodman is. That might be who Jimmy thinks he wants to represent as Saul Goodman, but when the doors are closed and no one else is around, who Saul Goodman is is who we saw in that previous scene, and he's a real dick.
0: Yeah, he sucks. Yeah. Sucks.
1: Saul Goodman's the guy that's throwing the bowling balls into your car for having the audacity (laughs) to offer him a nice job.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and to apologize to you. Yeah. Uh, To see worth in you. Like, Saul Goodman's the guy that throws a bowling ball at you for that. That's who Saul Goodman is. He's not the guy, even though Howard is eating soul, by the way. Uh, every time someone orders soul, uh, fish, I think, oh, they're eating soul. I remember in 2004, uh, on election day, uh, John Kerry was, you know, running for president against George W. Bush. And they said on the news, like, oh, John Kerry had his normal lunch today. He ate soul. And I'm like, he did what?
0: <laughs> yeah, he just ate like, some souls. Yeah, exactly. Well, like, How else are they supposed to stay sane in politics? Well, right? exactly. You know? Yeah,
1: you have to you have to sell yours, so you may as well eat someone else's. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, that uh, Howard's normal lunch. He eats soul. Uh, but this is this is just what it is. He has the audacity to see value in Jimmy McGill uh, to apologize to Jimmy McGill to think and that Jimmy, Jimmy just McGill sees can help him
0: as he's Goliath. So I'm yeah. going to slingshot him.
1: I'm going to throw a rock at him. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. In, in the form of a bowling ball. That's what I'm gonna do. I, maybe I am Charlie Hustle, and that's the thing, Howard. Like I'm a, I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan through and through. Uh, I grew up Pete Rose is my favorite baseball player. Charlie Hustle's not a good guy. <laughs> yeah.
0: And so like yeah, I, I don't know anything about him. Well, so.
1: it is it is admirable to say Pete Rose played baseball really hard. His nickname was Charlie Hustle. Like it's very admirable to say like you work very hard. Uh, you somebody walks you and you run to you sprint to first base. You try to turn every single into a double. You run as hard as you can. You play as hard as you can. You're the guy that does the head for a slider bowls over the catcher in an all-star game. But you're also the guy who bet on baseball. You're also the guy who has all sorts of other criminal allegations. You're the guy who didn't pay his taxes and went to jail. You're the guy who will write anything including I killed JFK or I was the Zodiac killer on a baseball for $100. bucks." Like you are not a good guy. Uh, and I think that's the problem is that Howard is seeing Charlie Hustle. He's not seeing uh, who Saul Goodman is, which is Pete Rose. And yeah. that's, the, that's the real problem with, with Howard Hamlin here. Charlie Hustle, maybe not the most aspirational thing including the haircut uh okay. so at the end of the oh, I day look up charlie hustle haircut. just look up pete rose haircut yeah it's okay, not uh it. not the best but right.
0: uh pete rose haircut take a look at that oh oh <laughs> the oh, other yeah, thing no uh,
1: the, the thing i want to finally end with um is it
0: <laughs> sometimes he it, looks like frankenstein sometimes he looks like the sixth beetle
1: yeah, he's got like a Dutch boy kind of thing yeah. going on there. Oh, not, it's a little not, Dutch boy. Not the Page haircut uh, from yeah. Page from uh, Mesa Verde, but like a Page boy. Uh, yeah, not great. And it's just so chunky. And he's got a chunky kind of hair. It's thick. It doesn't work. Bad look. Uh, send lot. it back. Yeah, got a lot of problems in the kitchen sink area. Yeah, so uh, these
0: pictures do kind of look Jimmy McGillish, though. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, be careful what you're doing there. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, it is it, it, the, the Charlie Hustle has reputational risk. Uh, and that's the final thing I want to go with here is Kim is really hammering this as her selling point to, uh, Paige and Kevin Wachtel at Mesa Verde. By the way, uh, if you want to, in the background, a little Easter egg, uh, the Mesa Verde billboard that is visible in Tucum Carry has a phone number on it. You call it. You can hear a little personal message from Kevin Wachtel. Uh, so if that's what you're dying for, uh, go ahead and screenshot that, call that number and you can hear the dulcet tones of one Kevin Wachtel. Ah, uh, that's fun talk to you about uh, Mesa Verde. But uh, I... <laughs> The reputational risk scenario, uh, that is that is her pitch. And I think she thinks that to a to a corporation, that will be the good pitch. But I think it's fascinating uh that she thinks about that. She is cognizant of reputational risk in the same episode where she is literally and figuratively lying down with Saul Goodman. Uh you want to talk about a reputational risk. Like that I think again speaks to where this Kim story is heading. Reputational risk, if she's really concerned about that, she should not be associated. Associating with Jimmy McGill, point blank, and the period, right? Yeah. Bad. It's bad. Not good. It's bad. It's bad, and it the the way that the Mesa Verde scenario is set up to look like uh, it's set up to. They have torn every house down in this neighborhood already. Like the whole the whole scenario is is weird. Like if they wanted to build a company town there, I don't think the solution would have been to buy every house that was already in the neighborhood and tear it down. Like they are in the midst of what looks like, as I said last week, some kind of eminent domain battle. Even though it's not, because there is a landlord involved and uh, there is a deal already in place. And they're just trying essentially now to evict the guy. Uh, it, it is it. they I don't know why they did all of that tearing down of things. And it, they wanted the visual on the show, clearly. But Mesa Verde is not in... The, I, this was a Hail Mary by Kim. I don't think we are meant to think that this should have worked. It is a Hail Mary. It didn't work. That's where we're at. And so she goes to a different Hail Mary. And the Mary she hails is not a Mary. It's a Saul... She better call Saul. It didn't work. It's not going to go well, I don't think. Yeah, so TBD on that. So. we will be back. We certainly will be back Gee. to talk about the fifth episode uh, especially as things continue to go sideways now the glacial pace of the show sometimes may mean that we don't go fully sideways on this until episode 8 or 9 of the season but we seem to be careening in that direction uh kim no stranger to car wrecks i think we could be headed for a figurative one uh by the end of this season for sure anything season else season
0: 5 season 5 episode 5 dedicado a max i don't dedicado know that
1: a max. dedicated uh, to max i think yeah if that's okay. my spanish so All right. yeah you've I don't been, know.
0: you've been, you've been hit
1: I, to the thing I've been trying to teach myself the Spanish, so yeah. that, it's fun. I like the scenes in this show uh, that are in Spanish. Uh, sometimes characters who should be speaking in Spanish don't, and that always makes me laugh, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I'm enjoying that. Dedicated to Max. I don't remember if there's a Max in the the Breaking Bad uh, timeline or not. I'm just going to quickly, I don't know if this will be a spoiler, uh, but uh Oh, okay. So this'll this is a big tip off. Uh do you want me to say who it was?
0: Yeah, sure,
1: of course. Yeah. Max was uh the other Pollo Hermano. Uh, oh he was the uh <laughs> It was the co-founder of Los oh, Pollos Hermanos who met his untimely end. Okay, uh, yeah. okay,
0: okay, yeah. okay. That's yeah. exciting. So right. maybe we're looking down the barrel of uh, some real Gus Spring backstory next week, which would be yeah. really, really, we really fun. We could get there,
1: uh, cool. and I don't cool. know if that will help her or hurt uh, ultimately, uh, Mike. Uh, but that we could get it via the Mike uh, situation, like we were talking. about. Yeah, well, about, that's so. a,
0: that's interesting. I mean, I think if if Mike comes to understand, not just like maybe. You know, forget like the humanitarian aspects of Gus, but if he's able to like find a way to relate to Gus on the same level as he relates to himself right now, that he's become worse and worse and worse because of what happened to his son, is he going to be able to relate to Gus once he gets a little bit of a glimpse at Gus's personal tragedy? Um, That's fascinating to me. Cool. Now I'm really hyped. I'm really hyped for for episode five. This is going to be fun.
1: All right. Well, we will be back to talk about yeah. episode five. Josh, how can people reach out to us if they want to send feedback to the podcast?
0: They can send feedback on Twitter is is a good way to do it. At AC Mazzaro. How many Z's? How many R's?
1: Two Z's, one R.
0: At Round Howard, at Post Show Recaps, I believe uh, BCS at PostShowRecaps.com is an email address that is available. If not, it's bettercallsall at PostShowRecaps.com. And you can subscribe to us. We've got the Better Call Saul feed. You can find us on your podcast app of choice if you like the Apple feed. We're PostShowRecaps.com slash BCS. iTunes is my belief that that is the yep, link. It is. Um, so uh, find us any one of those number... Of ways, uh, and I'll just take a quick second to plug that we've got so much happening on post show recaps right now. Post show recaps is very, very busy at the moment. It's exciting times as we're looking for more and more digital content. We've got you covered. I'm looking at the schedule for next week, uh, and we've got seven podcasts on the board. Westworld is coming back, so we'll have our Westworld premiere recap. We're also having, uh, if not weekly, then at least frequent bonus Westworld podcasts uh, coming back. We've got a really fun special guest lined up for the first of those two episodes uh, coming up next week. Curb Your Enthusiasm, we're reaching the penultimate episode. Rob, Akiva, and myself uh, spoke with Ali Lasher this past week, which was hardly got a word in Edgewise, <laughs> but it, pretty was, great. it was really, really fun. Uh, so we're going to be back. We'll be talking about the penultimate of Curb next week. Um, Jess and I, were continuing full steam ahead on Walking Dead. I've actually seen Sunday night's coming episode. Hot take, best episode of the season so far by a mile. I'm really excited to talk to Jess about that. Jess and Mike Bloom are talking about Star Trek Picard, which I think is actually getting um, it's right at the same spot, I believe. I think it's at the penultimate of, of Star Trek Picard right now, which I'm sadly behind on. But I know that Mike and Jess have been having a blast on that podcast and mike and i have been having a blast on the down the hatch podcast where we are talking about lost one episode at a time we are at the very end of like the, the spoiler alert if you never watch lost i'm gonna spoil the thing from season two you can just skip ahead 30 seconds and it'll be done uh we're at the end of the anna lucia kills uh shannon trilogy uh we're gonna be talking about collision Uh, in the next episode of down the hatch so that's seven count them seven because we'll have a better call Saul podcast next week as well seven podcasts on post show recaps if you're bored if you're locked down right now if you're trying to just minimize the 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 time you're spending outdoors you could just hang out with us we've got you covered we're in your ears we are here for you please stay safe we are. We're trying to do our best to to keep you entertained and occupied during what is inarguably a very difficult and and weird time existentially for us in our in our lives right now. Um, and if there's anything that we are doing on the podcast side that's helping you push through the pain, um, it is truly our pleasure uh to 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 bring that to you. It's obviously not an altruistic pursuit because it's truly our pleasure.
1: It truly is, uh, and we will be here. Uh, hopefully. Uh as long as the lights stay on and hopefully they'll stay for, on forever.
0: thank you for uh, abiding our, our crazy schedules. Antonio and I were trying to record much earlier in the week. I had a technical malfunction. Uh, Antonio, you've had some happy news in, in your life recently. Yeah. Uh, Cash, Cash Money Mazzaro is in yeah. the house.
1: My uh, nephew, Cassius Leon Mazzaro, born this week. right on, Born uh, my birthday. Born your Cash birthday. And I, Cash yeah. and I celebrate happy a shared So yeah. a, lot's,
0: a lot's been going on in addition to, to global pandemic stuff. So you <laughs> know, it's just like whatever can happen is happening right now now yep. uh, but that includes podcast life uh, finds a way you know for, forgive some lateness in the schedule but we're we're hooking you up with the podcast so yep, we're we'll hope that there. we're hoping that you're staying subscribed to post the recaps cuz we got you covered
1: All right. Uh, Anything else you want to hit, Josh?
0: That's the stuff.
1: All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody. Thank you to everyone for listening uh, and for tuning in and and thinking about Better Call Saul in your time of need. Uh, We will certainly be back uh, to talk about Episode 5, dedicated to Max, uh, next week. So I look forward to that. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Wash your hands.